This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to take some time right now to talk to uh, uh, a client of Sands & Associates, uh, Blair's Blair's good buddy, Bill. Yeah, so so thank you for joining us today, Bill. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, And Bill, you've been a client of the firm. We were were just discussing that, you know, it was basically two two years from the day you reached out to us until today. And it's been, you know, in in your words, a a bit of an incredible journey, a turnaround here. Um, Definitely, that's the purpose of today is to give you a chance, you know, to share the experience that you've been to with the idea that it's going to help others who might be in a similar situation and are just scared to reach out for help. Wonderful. So I wonder if we could start, Bill, just, you know, open-ended. Could you tell us about the situation, you know, what you were facing when you reached out to us? Sure. Um, A few years uh, prior to my first contact with Sands, I was involved in a a recreational hockey accident where I was uh, hit from behind by uh, somebody playing ice hockey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble, and I had my first spinal cord surgery uh, that night. Wow. And I had my second spinal cord surgery uh, approximately six months later, and I um, just uh, everything kind of downworld spiraled from there. I was never had any problem paying my bills uh, pre- prior to that. I had a fantastic credit score and Beacon score, and uh, as you can imagine, when you uh, have uh, those kind of surgeries and you're off work as long as I was, um, things happen. How old were you at that time, Bill? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> So we're going to go back uh, 45 years old, I guess. Okay, so you were out, I think you were telling me, Friday night recreational hockey game in front of the net, and suddenly your, your whole life changes with a cross-check, right? Yeah, I wish I was in front of the net. If I was in front of the net, it wouldn't have been so bad. I was actually in the corner oh, God. Uh, playing for the puck, and uh, somebody decided they were going to cross-check me from behind head first, and that was it. Bill, how long did it take you uh, before you realized you needed some guidance and some help with this? Uh, how long did it take before you reached out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Too long. I wish uh, that uh, the, the answer to that question is I waited almost three years to call Sounds and Associates because I was always that guy that wanted to pay these bills and I was always embarrassed and just wanted to do everything the right way uh, or what I thought was the right way. And uh, as it turns out, I was doing it wrong the entire time. So uh, three years after the accident, I finally was in such a bad place that I called John Manson at Sands, and uh, the rest is history. Can I ask, Bill, what were the things that you did in those three years that you're probably being way too hard on yourself about, mm-hmm. but what, what were the kinds of things that you were doing to sort of stay above water? The paying everything, paying uh, Paying my bills, paying the interest on those uh, on those uh, credit cards and the debt, um, pawning stuff, um, mm-hmm. borrowing money from family and friends. It mm-hmm. was uh, it was very tough, and uh, things that uh, that in retrospect I should have never done. Right, but you did the very best you could with what you had at the time, and I I, I hate I don't like hearing somebody be so hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. So eventually you reached out, and things turned around pretty quickly, or can you talk about that process? Things changed instantly. I never received one more phone call from 
anybody I owed money to the moment that I signed the papers with the with Sands and Associates. Uh, the process was so easy, and I was well informed of uh, what was going to happen, and uh, everything that I was told uh, happened exactly as planned. So, Bill, you, you mentioned John in our Surrey office, and you know definitely John's an excellent in terms of client service. Can you tell me a bit about you know your initial contact? You know, because people get very scared of that first meeting. Are they going to walk into to feel judged to someone who's going to examine in minute detail all of their their mistakes? Can you tell tell us about that initial consultation with John? Well, that's almost like you just described me because I I walked in thinking I was going to be judged, or somebody was going to think that all of the debt was entirely my fault. Um, and uh, John was the complete opposite of that. He uh, listened to my story, and he uh, asked the right questions, and uh, in a matter of uh, a few days, uh, the process was in place, and the papers were signed to uh, to get the process started. Right. And, and what did you actually file, Bill? Are you comfortable sharing a bit of the details there? Absolutely. Yeah. I did a proposal. Mm-hmm. So uh, John gave me the differences, uh, told me the differences between a bankruptcy and a proposal, and told me what his suggestions were of what uh, suited me best. And uh, after thinking about it for a day, I I agreed with him. And um, he told me exactly what was going to happen in the process, uh, how it was going to take place. And I just signed the papers and the rest was in his hands. And uh, um, exactly as promised, I never received one more phone call, one more letter, one more bill. I never received uh, anything. What was the thing that, uh, that surprised you the most about the process, Bill? How easy it was. Mm. I wish I would have done it uh, back in 2012. Uh, to, to think that I waited three years to uh, have that burden released from me and that weight off my shoulders and my back, I was—I uh, just felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right. And Bill, those words are just echoed with so many of the clients I, I see day after day. You know, we, we take this so personal in, into our own character and we, we judge ourselves about it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, Bill, you know, from someone, if they're not familiar about a consumer proposal, you know, I explained it in a very you know, technical trustee way, you know, from your perspective, what did the proposal do for you? What was your, your life before? Um, you told us, you know, that the calls and all that stopped, but, you know, in most cases with the proposal, the debt is significantly reduced and you don't pay the interest. So I'm curious of the arrangement that was able to be worked out. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact numbers. Yep. It's so long ago now, but uh, whatever whatever it was, uh, it was immediately, I felt like every single month all I was paying was interest right. on all of the credit cards and all of the debt. It instantly became one single payment that was completely manageable and was not something that had me worried and keeping me up at night. Um, I knew that the payment, the one single payment, the negotiated uh, payment was going to come out at a certain day of the month. It was paid to Sands, and Sands took care of everything, and it was so easy. Yeah, and, and Bill, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you describe the proposal payment that way. You don't remember how much it was or what you saved, but you remember that it fit into your budget. And that's, you know, very core. When a, when a trustee does a consumer proposal, we have to make sure this is going to fit in the person's budget. They're going to be able to perform it. It's in everyone's best interest here. So, and I find when I sit down with folks, if we add up what they're paying in interest each month, almost every case, the proposal is a lower payment than what they're actually already paying. And the proposal has an end date. You're going to be done this in, you know, three, four, five years at the most. Whereas if you're paying interest, you're probably on the never-never plan and you may never right. pay it off, right? Exactly. And I can't believe how fast uh, time has gone by so quickly. Uh, we're only a few years into it now. And uh, the um, I've only got a couple of years left until I'm completely released of, uh, of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that uh, my, my obligation 
mm-hmm. the sense, and then I will be completely whole. But so much has changed in that two years. I'm already in a much better place and much better off than I was uh, the very first day that I, I met John. Bill, can you talk about uh, the kind of new habits or attitude that you have that you didn't have before when it comes to your finances? Absolutely. I'm saving money. <laughs> I've got uh, money in the bank, and uh, I've got um, going on vacation uh, next month, going down to Mexico for a week, and uh, that's just uh, would have been unheard of uh, a few short years ago. And it must feel very um, that you're doing things with ease, as opposed to with anxiety now, I'm doing things uh, that I've that uh, within uh, common sense and reason. I'm doing things that I want to do, and I'm still just keeping in mind that I have obligations uh, to uh, to take care of from Sands and my uh, getting my credit back mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Um, my credit score is rising again, and. Uh, if if, uh, if you don't mind, can I entertain you with a, just a quick story about a credit card very quickly? Yeah, Bill, I was actually going to ask you that, that question just, just next, so it's, so it's perfect because, you know, when people come in to talk about a proposal and definitely for a bankruptcy, they come to the conclusion before they walk in the door that they'll never get credit again, right. that they're going to be, you know, destroyed on a, on a long-term basis. Um, and, you know, I can tell you what the law says. You know, the law says after you finish your proposal for a couple of years after that, it's still going to show in your credit report, but I know people rebuild their credit far sooner than that. And now, Bill, you haven't finished your proposal yet, but I know you've got a good story to tell here. Right. i still got a few years left, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, going to be fantastic. But uh, in my first couple of meetings with John, that was besides the embarrassment and the stigma attached to what I thought I was doing wrong. Um, I was uh, mentioning to John Manson at uh, Sands that I'm worried that I'm never going to get credit ever again. And he told me uh, that he has a, a few uh, ways that he uh, knows that I can establish my credit again. And within a very short period of time, I had a, a, a secured credit card, mm-hmm. uh, which had a, a manageable uh, balance on it, which uh, I understood was just going to be temporary. And John and I have kept in contact over the last few years. And he mentioned to me, uh, the next step is to, to just pay your bills on time. And in, a, in a, a matter of time, you will be able to apply for another card. And uh, I guess maybe a month, month and a half ago, it was that I had that date circled on my calendar that John told me to uh, make the call. And I called up the um, the credit card company and I said I'd like to apply for a credit card and uh, held my breath. And uh, a few days later, I got a letter in the mail saying that uh, I've been authorized for a another credit card, my second one now, and it now has a $5,000 uh, credit limit. So within a very short period of time, I've, I've gone from owing tens of thousands of dollars to now having a, a non-secured credit card with a $5,000 credit limit that uh, I'm free to use whenever I want. Now, is there has your attitude or has your uh, how you operate with that credit card, is that different than it was before, Bill? Like, wh- what's the change now? Yeah, no, I'm still very, very careful with my money. I'm just uh, very cognizant of the fact that uh, you never know what's going to happen uh, in life. And I've now, the difference between now and before, I've got a nest egg of some savings in the bank for a rainy day. So I'm I'm just being very, very careful. And, and it's good to be able to just go out and just spend what I want uh, within reason, right? You've been so honest uh, in this interview, Bill, about the the things that you're so grateful for and appreciative of and, and the, the action that you've taken. H- have you got any more words of advice for folks who may be listening and, and really what your story is resonating with them and they're hesitant to do something or to take action? Is there some advice you can give to those people? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to just be very honest. Uh, John Manson, 
at the, the Surrey office um, literally saved my life. I don't know wow. where I would be uh, today if I wouldn't have walked into his office and had that first initial conversation. So um, Sands and Associates uh, did exactly what they told me they were going to do. So my words of advice, if, if there's anybody out there that feels like their life is spiraling, that uh, their debt is out of control, uh, whether it's uh, for th- that their own fault or within, without, uh, uh, um, in my situation where it was uh, with uh, w- not within my uh, ability to pay because of an accident, uh, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to make a quick call, to have a consultation, and just to uh, have an honest opinion of where you're at. And I think you're going to be very, very surprised about uh, where you are. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, tell us your story. It's so important. Any, you know, there's so many pieces that someone might hear and go, "Oh boy, that sounds like me," or "That sounds like somebody I know that could could get some help there." So, so appreciate that. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Uh, I'm Elaine Scott, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. For any information, any more information, please don't hesitate to go to the website sands-trustee.com or call one eight hundred six six one thirty thirty for a free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scall, and along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. This segment, we're talking about how not to solve your financial problems, mistakes not to make when you're in debt. We've talked a lot, Blair, about mistakes not to make when in debt. Let's talk about some of the more common mistakes. That people take. Yeah. And sometimes people think, you know, I'm actually doing the right thing here. How could this be a mistake? But I think as we talk more and more, you'll see how sometimes when you think you're doing the right thing, you're actually just enlarging, deepening the problem and actually, you know, working against your own objectives. Yeah. Here. Like debt management's yeah. a complicated issue. It can be. And, and the challenge too is it's complicated. And usually when you're faced with the decisions to make, you're not at your best. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you owe money, your self-esteem is down. You're probably working like crazy. You're all stressed out. Maybe, stressed, your, maybe sure. your health is suffering. So it's a complicated situation and it can be a bit tough on you personally and emotionally to actually try to make that decision. And the idea that you're trying to solve one problem but creating another one, Mm -hmm. yikes. Yeah. All right, let's get to it then. Yeah, so first thing, first mistake that that can happen, you know, if you find yourself in debt and there's the old adage, if you find yourself in a hole, what's the first thing you do is you stop digging. Right. Okay. If you find yourself in debt, the last thing you typically want to do is take on more debt. Okay. And there's a couple ways that this, that this can take, take fashion. You know, one is by trying to consolidate your debt. And you're probably thinking, well, isn't this a smart thing? You know, I'm going to put all my debt together. The way a consolidation loan works is you owe one bank instead of, you know, five or six. Um, They pay off all the other banks. Then you pay the one bank with a consolidation loan, generally a lower interest rate um, so that you've got more cash flow and you can get out of debt. Now, 
the challenge here is that quite often people don't qualify for consolidation loans unless they've got a bunch of assets, you know, a house with no mortgage or a bunch of money in the bank. So it's usually the people that don't need it are the people that can get a consolidation loan. Okay. But even if you're able to achieve a consolidation loan, I've seen again and again, people consolidate their debt, they pay off the other cards, but they don't change their behavior. So the consolidation loan doesn't go down and the cards go right back to where they were in the space of, you know, six months to a year or something like that. So based on your experience, it's not the best route to take. No, it, it often doesn't solve the problem. It gives you some short-term relief, but it doesn't force you to really change the monthly spending habits that might be getting you into that situation. And that's the key is is that this behavior, your behavior has gotten in, got, gotten you into this problem. And and that's what needs to change, right? Yeah, quite quite often, you know, and even on a consolidation loan, you know, it doesn't reduce the amount that you owe. It does reduce the interest, but you're still paying interest. And usually if you've got a debt problem, you know, just getting a reduction in the interest rate, you know, that's not going to solve it. Right. You need to do something more drastic than that. Now, you know, two other ways that you can, you know, essentially keep digging in that hole and taking on new debt are even worse. Yeah. You know, number one is payday loans. Um, very simply, do not start this cycle because it's so difficult to stop. So a payday loan, you can, you know, see them if you drive up or down any main street in, in BC here. Sure. Um, you know, various different names that have iterations of money and cash and different things in, in yeah, them. Today, yeah, today, now. Exactly, <laughs> instant. Um, yeah. The way a payday loan works is, you know, you get a short-term loan, but at an incredibly high interest rate. On an annualized basis, it can be 500% or more of an interest. Um, so what happens is you get that payday loan and you maybe you pay your rent or you buy groceries. And then when that loan comes due, you need to take out another loan to pay that one to back. Because back. you can't cover the interest. And then when that second one comes due, you take out a third one. I see people regularly with 10, 15 different payday lenders, everyone calling them, everyone Ugh. trying to take money out of their accounts. So it is a cycle. Once you get on, it's very difficult to, to get off with a payday lender. Wow. Um, the last part here on taking on new debt um, is borrowing from friends and family almost always a bad idea. Um, you know, even if friends and family want to help you out, helping you out typically is not, you know, just paying off one of your credit cards and then, you know, not helping you change the underlying problem here. If someone really wants to help you out, once you've worked out a debt reduction, once you've done a proposal, or if you're working through a bankruptcy, they can help you with some of those reduced payments. But, you know, similar to a consolidation loan, it's often, you know, just enlarging the problem, throwing good money after bad. And then you've got a personal relationship that you don't want to let that person down. Because if you can't pay everybody, Visa, MasterCard, and, you know, your mom or dad that helped you out, you're not allowed to just pay mom or dad. That's giving them a fraudulent preference, it's called, and that can be held against you. Oh, interesting. Ooh, that doesn't sound very good. And yet, you know, people, nature, for the most part, good-natured, want to give you a hand. Mm -hmm. um, but boy, that can change very quickly if things don't go well. Yeah, and you, you segued beautifully into our, our second point here is, you know, they might want to give you a hand and monetarily as part of it, but sometimes, you know, the best of intentions, the best of advice that can come from friends and family members can be completely wrong. Because if you're coming to me for money, I got lots of good advice for mm -hmm. you, right? Automatically. Yeah, and, you know, even some people that are in the financial industry, you know, unless you're going, you know, with some very specific questions to their expertise, they may not know much more about the average person about debt repayments, and they might give you some bad advice. 
Um, so, you know, sometimes, you know, you might be speaking to a family member and they say, well, you got all this money in RRSPs. Why don't you just cash that in and pay off your debts? You know, just get this thing sorted. You might say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Not knowing, as we talked many times, RRSPs are fully protected. You don't have to cash that money in. So you might have just been counseled to compromise your entire retirement, but you didn't have to do that if you had full information. I think that's one of the most important things that we've ever talked about is mm-hmm. the fact that they are protected. Your yeah. RRSPs protect it. Yep. Really important. Yeah. And, you know, in fact, the vast majority of assets that most people have are protected. So, you know, when you go to a friend or family member, they might not have the knowledge to give you comfort that no one's going to show up at your door tomorrow. No one's going to start carting your furniture away. You will never go to jail for this debt. You know, there's a bunch of things that if you speak to an expert, they can put your mind at ease very quickly. If you speak to, you know, a well-intentioned family member who might not have the right information, you can end up being more anxious and more worried at the end of that conversation. So if I'm not getting advice from friends and family, what do I do? Well, you don't want to keep it to yourself, right? Because, you know, especially I see this with family. If, you know, one person is really shouldering all the all the burdens of debt and earning the income and trying to pay for everything, you know, you can very quickly self-destruct from Absolutely. an emotional and a psychological point of view. So you do need to reach out for help. You know, one of the reasons we do this show, Elaine, is to give people, you know, an easy way to access some basic information. So, you know, start off by listening to the show. We talk about a lot of different topics. When you feel comfortable, reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah. Every trustee in Canada will offer you a free consultation. At SANS, we spend up to an hour with everybody. The last thing on our mind is making you feel judged. The first thing on our mind is helping you feel more in control, helping you get back in the driver's seat of your finances. And you could even go into that first hour free consultation and say, I have a friend who has this situation and this situation and this and this and this, right? We get that all the time. I bet. Yeah, friend, family member, you know, even just, hey, I've got some general questions and that's fine. We'll, We'll be happy to help. That's a really good, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, what about if I'm married or I've got a partner and boy, oh boy, I didn't, you know, they wouldn't be exactly over the moon to know or maybe we haven't even entered into a marriage or a a real formal relationship yet. That's kind of a, a tough one to yeah. start talking about. It can be awkward. Now, the, you know, obviously we advocate as open as possible, as early as possible in a relationship because, you know, the more open you are about your finances, the better you're going to be able to manage things collectively. But one fear people have is, you know, if I have to deal with my debt situation, if I have to go and see a trustee, file a proposal, or even file a bankruptcy, is that going to tank my spouse as well? Is that going to hurt his or her credit? Is that going to impact his or her assets? The short answer is is absolutely not. So it's possible for one person in a relationship to solve all of their issues and have zero impact on the other person if there's no shared debt and no shared assets. And just by marrying somebody doesn't mean that you share their debt. It's the credit card bill whose name is on it. That's the test. Got it. And in, in wrapping up this segment, the last mistake that you want that we want to talk about, and it's a big one, and, yeah. and that's why I want to make sure that we include this one. Yeah, this one, an easy way to say it is you're confusing activity for achievement. You know, you're thinking that because I'm doing something, I'm actually achieving something, and that's making your minimum payments. So if all you're able to make is your minimum of payments, you're 
you're doing activity every month, but you're actually not achieving anything. Minimum payments on anything over a couple thousand dollars of a credit card debt, they're going to snowball out of control. You'll be on a payment plan for years and years and years. You need a better option if all you're doing is paying minimum payments. Now, if any of this information is resonating with you, go to the website, sans-trustee.com. They've got a ton of great questions and answers for you. If you want to make an appointment, it's easy, 1-800-661-3030, and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Doug Hoyce is on the phone right now. Uh, Doug is, like Blair, a licensed insolvency trustee, co-founder of Hoyce Michelos, a firm of uh, licensed insolvency trustees in Ontario, uh, inspired to bring his financial experience to work by helping individual people and not corporations. Uh, Doug is a big advocate for consumers needing debt relief uh, so that they get fair and respectful debt management solutions. He's a regular commentator on all kinds of national media. We're so happy to have you on the show, Doug. Great to be here. Thanks very much. Now, this segment, we're going to talk about a book that's just come out of yours. It's called Straight Talk on Your Money, The Biggest Financial Myths and Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm pretty sure that we could fill up an entire hour, Doug, with the information from your book. But let's just focus on a couple of things. Um, Where did you get the title? What is Straight Talk on Your Money? Well, I find that a lot of talk about money is a sales pitch. You know, sometimes it's obvious you go into the car place and the car salesperson's obviously there to sell you a car. You understand you're talking to a salesperson, but often it's not quite so obvious. Like when you walk into the bank and you're dealing with the bank teller, you don't maybe fully understand that they're also there to sell you something a lot of the time. So I think we need fewer sales pitches and more straight talk when it comes to our money. So that's what this book is about. As you mentioned, I go through 22 myths, many of which are sales pitches, and I give you the straight talk on your money so that you, you can be aware of them and then uh, avoid them or modify them as necessary. Now, it's really a, a really good point, when, and the bank was a great example, because you don't think that they're trying to sell you a product that's going to uh, benefit them in the long run. It might benefit you as well, but in the long run, they're going to earn the money, they're going to do a little bit better as a result of having more more of your money, whether it be your mortgage or your loans or whatever it is. I think that's a really valid point. Yeah, and it's insidious because you don't realize you're being sold to. You've been going to the bank your whole life. Exactly. And you actually know who the person is there. You're, you're very friendly with them. And so you put your card in the machine because you've got to, you know, cash a check or get some U.S. money or whatever it is you're doing at the bank. And, and they instantly say to you, oh, this is, this is great. You, the computer says you qualify for a $10,000 line of credit. Do you, mm-hmm. do you want me to sign you up? And you're sitting there going, oh, oh, okay, well, I guess if the bank thinks it's a good idea, I guess I should do it. Obviously, they've done an analysis of my situation and, and know what's happening. Uh, yeah, they've done an analysis, all right, and they offered you that line of credit as opposed to a credit card or a loan or something else, because that's probably the thing that has the least risk for them, but they can make the most money on, and that's why you're offering it. they're offering it to you. So you just got a sales pitch, and you didn't even realize it. 
And if you were aware that a sales pitch was coming, maybe your guard's up and you can ask questions and be a little more guarded about it. But when you don't realize it's coming, that's when you get yourself into into trouble. No, and, and I think the other piece of that too is it's not necessarily age specific that they're directing it to. You could be a senior, you could be a really a young person just starting out or maybe student loans and you've got your first bank account for the first time or or you're living on your own for the first time. And you know, not everybody is is doing everything in your best interest, right? Absolutely. And you're right. If you're a student, then they're targeting you with maybe a credit card here. You get a $1,500 balance. It's got a pretty high interest rate because that's really all the bank can make money off with you. Uh, maybe it's a student line of credit or something. If you're a senior, it's, oh, well, look at this. You're, you're a senior. You've got a pension coming in. Uh, would you like to talk about, uh, you know, maybe a loan so you can lend some money to your, to your adult children? Maybe we want to talk about a reverse mortgage, maybe something else that's more applicable to a senior. So they're very good at targeting the offer to whomever is standing in front of them. And as you said earlier, it may or may not be in your, your best interest. And, and I'm not here to say that banks are bad. I mean, they, they're in business. They, this is what their job is. So I'm certainly not saying you should never go into a bank, and I, I don't want to paint them as the, the bad guys here. All I'm saying is you should be alert. You should have your spidey sense tingling, as it were, so that you understand what's coming, and therefore you can respond appropriately. Yeah, I think that that's great advice, Doug. Because I think you you know you really need to understand. You know, in some cases, the bank's interests are going to align with yours, but sometimes they're going to be complete opposite, and you need to have that you know in your mind. That is the advice I'm going to get. You know, for my interest or, or for theirs. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely right. Yeah, I, I wonder, Doug, if we can dig into the book a, a little bit. Can we focus on you know a couple of the the top money myths and traps? You know, I I read the book in detail. A lot of them I can see. You know, my clients and even myself at, at times falling into a few of them. I wonder if we can pick a couple that you think have resonated most uh, with individuals as you, as you've published the book very recently. Well, I uh, got an email today, as a matter of fact, from somebody who said, hey, I read the book, and I, I kind of have to object to what you said about the credit score in the book. I was hoping we'd talk because, about that, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, so um, he, he uh, happens to be in the, in the lending business, and he said, he's, he's a mortgage broker, and he said, you know, a credit score is really important if you want to be getting a mortgage. So I, I think, you, you know, what you said wasn't really on base there in the book where, where you talked about credit score. And I said, well, let's be very specific about what I said in the book. I said that you should not organize your entire financial life solely for the purpose of getting as high a credit score as, as possible. I understand that a credit score is important. I get it. If you're going to qualify, trying to qualify for a mortgage or a car loan, anything, the higher the credit score, the better. You're going to get better terms, lower interest rate, and so on. But you can also become overly obsessed with a credit score. So your credit score is based on a number of things, one of them being, well, how much debt do you already have and what's your utilization on it? So you could go out and get five credit cards that all have a $10,000 credit limit on them, and if you carried a balance of $2,000 on each one of them, you'd actually look pretty good to the credit scoring algorithm. Your utilization is 20% because you're borrowing 2000 against the 10000 on each card. That's a pretty good utilization. So that would probably make your credit score look pretty good, all else being equal. Well, let's ask the obvious question here. Does it make sense for you to have five different credit cards with a $10,000 credit limit on each and borrowing $2,000 on each of those five cards? That's $10,000 you're borrowing on your credit cards at probably pretty high interest rates. I don't think so. 
I think it's better to have money in the bank, cash in the bank, and so on, but that doesn't show up on your credit report. There's no section on your credit report that says you're a good saver and you have money in your TFSA or your RSP or anything like that. All it shows is how you're handling your debt. So I don't believe we should be focusing on trying to get the best credit score. I think we should be focusing on doing what's best for ourselves, which in a lot of cases is having less debt and more savings. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Doug. And I can just echo that in the clients that I, I sit down with, obviously, folks that, that you see as well in a similar situation. And maybe it's because there's just not that many easy indicators that are out there. But a lot of people see a credit score as the be all and the end all the indicator of whether I'm, you know, a good customer or not. Um, and to, to your point, you know, they can be completely divorced from your actual financial health. Yeah, uh, well, that's absolutely right. I mean, if if you had $10 million in the bank, you'd never borrowed a, a cent in your life, mm-hmm. you owned your house outright, you wouldn't even have a credit score. Yeah, yeah, you'd and be yeah, worse than, than the person with the five credit exactly, cards. Exactly, exactly. And that just, that just makes absolutely no sense. So again, one of the themes in the in the book, Straight Talk on Your Money, is you've got to be the boss. You've got to do what's right for you. So if you know you're going to be trying to qualify for a mortgage or something in the future, okay, then I guess you've got to take some steps to make sure your credit score is as good as it can be. But let's not go crazy. Let's not go overboard here. Let's not get so much debt that it ends up hurting us in the long run. So, Doug, so, so continuing on with that thought, if I'm supposed to be in control or, or the boss of this situation and I'm not very good with money, I don't have that base of knowledge that you obviously have or others have, where do I start? How, what are the things that I first keep in mind before I walk in that door? Well, I think everybody has to do their own research and do their own thinking. So one of the themes also in the book, in fact, it's one of the first chapters, is you should not just blindly rely on experts. Don't just believe whatever the the banker or the financial advisor tells you. So I think the starting point for everyone is to do some research, do some, some thinking on your own. Um, there's tons of resources at the library. They're free. There's lots of websites out there and blogs and podcasts. Obviously, shows such as the the one we're on right now have lots of great information. So I think you do your research, learn what's out there. You've got to obviously separate the wheat from the chaff a bit because some stuff is going to conflict with other stuff. But do the thinking so that you then become aware of um, of what's out there. I mean, if, if you want to have better health, then you need to learn a bit about exercise and nutrition and things like that. Um, it's the same with money. You've got to put the time in, put the effort in to, to do some learning. Doug, what about a, another really big learning for, from the book? So the credit score, I think, is absolutely pivotal. Is there another one that's really resonated, you know, either good or bad, with the folks that you've shared the book with? Yeah, the the other big section, um, and this is the one that gets comments a lot from people in both Toronto and Vancouver. Got to be housing. You got it. Real estate. <laughs> yeah. Real estate. And so... Uh, one of the things I say in the book is you should not think of real estate as an investment. You should not think of your house as an investment. And people in Toronto and Vancouver go, well, that's crazy. I mean, look at house prices. They go up 20% every year, year after year after year. It's a fantastic investment. Yeah, okay, that's what's happened over the last five or six years. If you look back over 20 or 30 years, it's not exactly the same. But the reason I say that is if you think your house is an investment, you will be much more tempted to buy way too big a house and take on way too big a mortgage than what you can realistically afford. Even if your house is going up in value, if you can't afford to make the mortgage payments, if you become house rich but cash poor, can't even pay the property taxes, 
you're trapped in your house, you can never even go out for dinner. I don't think that's a great situation. So my advice is think of your house like any other consumer good. It's just like a toothbrush. It's something I buy. It's something I get value out of. I use it. But it's not an investment. I'm not buying a toothbrush because I think it's going to go up in value. I think we overestimate how much our houses have gone up in value, too, because if you've lived in the place for 10 years, you've probably put a new roof on it and fixed the furnace and done some plumbing and did did some landscaping and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think we overestimate how much we've actually made because we ignore all those costs. But if you think of it as a place to live and... As a result, I think you'll be much more realistic in what you're buying. You'll try to have a bigger down payment, and you'll get into a lot less trouble. But, but yeah, the, the real estate professionals, the mortgage brokers, they, they don't agree with that. It's, hey, look, they're, they're going to go up in value, so the bigger the better. Well, I just don't agree. Right. Doug, with the book, is there someone that the book is really aimed at, or is it a broad book that you know, most people will find something to, to you know, take from it? That's an excellent question, and I've had great response from millennials because they've right. said to me, yeah, no one's ever taught us this stuff before. It's <laughs> not like we learn it in school. But I've also had five or six people who are 80 years old and over say to me, you know, this is, this is really good. There's a, a couple of good things in there. There's a chapter on being immortal, which really speaks to the, the older uh, people out there. Um, and a lot of them say, yeah, this is, this is great stuff. I'm going to pass that book on to my adult children, and, uh, and it's good for them. So um, it's, it's not an age-specific book. I've tried to cover basic financial themes, which I think apply at all ages. The book is called Straight Talk on Your Money, The Biggest Financial Myths and Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Author is Doug Hoyes. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. For more information about Doug, you can get on his website. Very easy to do, hoyes.com. That's H-O-Y-E-S dot com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. A licensed insolvency trustees have the legal resources and knowledge to help you get out of debt. And believe it or not, they're often able to explain debt solutions that you can use on your own. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about right now with Blair. Mm-hmm. Uh, how sort of your insider resources. Love that term, the insider show. <laughs> insider, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> to become debt free. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know. I didn't know there were some insider resources that we could use. Let's well, talk about them. Yeah, and they shouldn't be insider resources. But at the end of the day, we're using that a big tongue in cheek because, my God, the amount of people that don't know about these options and sometimes make bad decisions, you know, for themselves or for their loved ones, giving advice. Um, so let's spend a bit of time today on a bunch of things that you might not know, but that can be very useful if you're facing a debt situation. Or is it pre the debt situation? Because yeah. I mean, one of the first items here is talking about what kind of debt it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this can also be just giving yourself, you know, buyer beware before you sign on the dotted line for various types of contracts, knowing, well, what's the remedy here if things go off the rule, off okay. the rails? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about it then. Yep. So what makes a debt secured or unsecured? Yeah. So the first thing that let's talk about is this is a provision called called Seize or Sue. 
And what this means is that if you have a secured debt, and a secured debt, to answer your question, is if you financed a car or you financed a house or something, secured debt means that if you don't pay the debt, someone's going to take the security from you. And usually that means if you don't pay on your car loan, they're going to come and repo the car. Right. Okay. So the vast majority of debt, you know, your credit cards, your lines of credit, most of them, um, income tax debts, those are all unsecured debts. If you don't pay them, there's no specific asset that you're going to lose. Yeah, they're not connected to one specific thing. Right. So the first topic we're going to talk about is if you've got a secured debt, like a car loan, you know, what can you do about it? All right. What can I do about it? And I can't pay it. Right. So the important thing, and I have people come in to see me all the time and they have no idea about these facts I'm about to tell you. So if you have financed a car in the Mm -hmm. province of BC, and this applies to any consumer good, not a business good. So it has to be a consumer good, but let's say it's a car that you financed. If you suddenly turn around and figure out, I can't afford to continue to make these payments. Maybe you're two years into a seven-year financing contract, and you know that if you try to sell the car, you're going to not have enough money to pay off this loan, Okay. right? Because almost by definition, as soon as you finance a car and you start making the payments, the car is worth a lot less than what you actually owe on the loan. Right. And most of us are okay with that at periods of time. But if it's at the point where you know you can't afford to continue to make payments, and you also know if you were to sell the car, you wouldn't be able to pay back the whole loan, a lot of people feel really trapped in that situation. They've got an asset they can't afford, um, and they've got a loan that they can't pay off, and they think that there's nothing they can do. It sounds pretty awful. Mm -hmm. What can I do? First insider resource here is to get yourself in front of Google and type in seize or sue BC. Okay. Okay. It's a provision from the law, and again, completely unknown. What it means is that if you financed a good and you stop making the payments on it, your creditors have to make a decision. They're either going to come and seize the vehicle from you, Mm -hmm. continue with our example, or they're going to say, keep keep the car. We're going to sue you for the full amount of the loan. But Mm. the important thing is they can't do both. And this is a difference within BC to other provinces. So let me tell you, if we were in Ontario, you financed a car, you owe $40,000 on it still, and you know if you sell the car, you're going to get $25,000. If you're in the province of Ontario and you stop making those payments and they come and seize the car, they recover $25,000 at auction, they're giving you a bill for $15,000. You're not in good shape, right? Right. Province of BC, they can't give you that bill. Okay. If they come and seize the car from you, that's the end of the story. That Shocking, is significantly right? You have different. no idea about that. Yeah. And the car financing company is not going to tell you that. They're going to say, we're going to seize that car and we're going to hold you responsible for all the shortfall. So the only way where Caesar Sue wouldn't apply is if you've used the car in business, as we mentioned, okay. or if when you're surrendering or giving back the car, when they're repoing it, if you signed a contract out of those provisions. And sometimes, you know, bailiffs are usually very, very nice gentlemen or women. Um, they're not going to be confrontational with you. They might say, you know, just sign here, just saying that you're giving me the car. Sometimes you're signing to say, I agree to pay any shortfall, even though I'm not required to do so by law. Okay. Wow. So, so my advice is if you're giving the car back, you know, take pictures with your phone or whatever of what you're doing, but don't sign any of the documents. Say, I don't sign anything until my lawyer has reviewed them. I'm not going to sign on the moment here because I don't know what I might be contracting out of. Wow. But seize or sue, hugely important for someone who might think that they're underwater on a vehicle loan and they've got no way out. And uh, that signature that the bailiff wants uh, wants uh, you to give them, mm-hmm. is could that kind of signature be made when you're purchasing the vehicle? Like, could you so- be signing up for that? No, usually it's in the moment. You'd have okay. to, you know, basically agree at that point. I okay. don't believe you can contract out of it ahead of time. I think the law still, app- still applies. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, that one is huge value. I have people coming in thinking there's no hope for a vehicle loan. And I'm happy to send them on their way with just a little bit of knowledge about C's or Sioux. Very interesting. And the difference between British Columbia and Ontario, that's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. And we all just assume you're going to be on the hook, but it's not necessarily the case. Okay. Now, does the two-year basic liability limitation period, mm-hmm. does that enter into this or is that a separate thing that's again? A, that's a separate thing. Okay. So yeah, I think the first insider thing we want to talk about is, you know, vehicle financing and seize or sue. I think the second thing let's talk about is a statute of limitations on debts. And we talked about this a little bit kind of tangentially, but let's be clear. Um, if you owe somebody money in the province, of BC. And now let's be clear, it doesn't apply to government debts. There's no statute of limitations on government debts. You have to deal with those one way or the other. But if it's a private debt, a credit card, a line of credit, something, you know, a personal loan, um, there is a limitation period, meaning that if you stop making payments on a debt, they can't chase you for the rest of your life and threaten to sue you and threaten to take your assets and seize your wages. There is a two-year limitation period. From the last payment that you made. And that's, yes. the, that's to me, a key piece mm-hmm. for folks to know. So the worst thing you can often do is just continue to make that very small minimum payment every month for the rest of your life. That loan will never get statute barred if you continue to pay. What you have to do is you have to realize, I'm not going to be able to make these payments in full, so it's probably not in my best interest to continue to reset the statute of limitations. Got it. It's something you want to get some advice on. So again, come in to see us at Sands & Associates for a free meeting or give us a call, but just knowing that there is a statute of limitations can give you a little bit of another tool in your toolbox if you're dealing with debt. Because remember, especially on a credit card, and, and we've talked about this before, is that it actually states on the card how long it will take yeah. you to pay that credit card. Yeah, and even $6,000 debt can be 40 years. Which is just unbelievable. Oh, insane, all those words, yes. Yeah. Okay, so someone trying to wait out the two-year period, suffering endless collection agents, and you're yeah. getting the calls. So the last thing, with that. The last insider thing is if you can, again, BC has some great consumer protection legislation that doesn't exist in all other provinces and people just don't know about it here. There is a form that Consumer Protection BC produces and it's on our website at sandstrustee.com. Um, it's a form letter that if you, if someone's bothering you with debt collection calls, you have the right to say, I don't consent to these calls. Simple as that. If I do business, I do business by mail. And it's a lot less intimidating to open a letter than it is to have someone coming through the phone at you. Right. So if you're someone who's maybe going to wait out the two-year statute of limitations and you're really worried that the creditors are going to be calling you 20 times a day. Or they already have Or they already are. Yeah. yeah. You can put yourself back in the power position by sending that letter out to your creditors, documenting that you sent the letter. And then the next calls that you're getting, you're going to be informing them, I'm sorry, you seem to be violating consumer protection laws here. Please stop calling me. And you hang up the phone. So you have to send them to each of the creditors? Yep. Each collector. Yeah. Oh, each collector. Yep. Okay. And and then if they continue to call, mm-hmm. what's your next? Yeah. I know you... Then you, you'd be getting to, in touch with Consumer Protection BC and they will take this serious. I've seen them give financial penalties to collectors who've continued to call after they've received this notice. So as with many things in life, you want to document who did you speak to, when did you send it, and make sure you've got, you know, everything on your side, but have a little bit of fun with it. You know, make sure that you're completely solid on your facts. Sometimes you'll be teaching the collector that, no, actually, this does apply, and I'm sorry you are breaking the law, and why am I the one to tell you this? I don't know, but stop calling me. I can't help but think about folks who don't know or don't have this information or who are pretty senior and they're getting impacted by folks continuing to call and and getting and getting frightened as a result. It's uh, it's nice to know that British Columbia has some pretty firm laws protecting consumers. It's Mm -hmm. something that I certainly didn't know. Yeah.
It's very, very, very good. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you, or you know somebody who's under this kind of um, constant calling, people calling, or they're unsure about what kind of debt they have, any of this kind of stuff. Great, inf- uh, great information, great questions. Get to the website, sands-trustee.com. You know, and if you're not ready to start to talk to somebody yet, check out the website on its own. It's filled with so much good information that you can read through. Every kind of scenario is almost outlined in this and giving you uh, such good information. And then you can make that call. It's nice and easy to do. 1-800-661-3030 to book that free consultation and start living that debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.